I, I'm pumped to be with you. I'm going to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I'll be honest. It's so good to be back with what I consider my spiritual family. This stage wasn't here the last time I was here. Things have changed. Glenn's got like new toys up here. I'm really digging this. So, but what I want to share with you today is if you have been a Christian for years or even decades, it is very easy for us to become stagnant in our faith. And I hope God gives you a shot in his arm. And I pray that he, you remember nothing I say except for what God speaks through his scriptures to your soul today. And as we sang about a moment ago, there is a spiritual battle going on for your soul and for mine. And that God desires to partner with us in what he's doing in the world. And he gives us the choice of whether or not to do that. And if you are here today and you're not a Christian or you've been straying from the Lord in your faith or you're far from God or you're an atheist or agnostic, you've been searching out what you believe, you're attending online right now, I want to tell you this church is for you. They genuinely want to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints, as Glenn Austin says. And I pray that God uses this passage in your life. You ready to study God's word, church? Are you ready to study God's word, church? Woo! I know it. I know you are. Here we go. Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now, if you're new to the Bible, the Gospel of Luke has one of the more detailed accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Luke traveled with the Apostle Paul, and he writes this to a guy named Theophilus that paid him to write this down, most likely. And, and we know today that this particular passage is talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I'm going to imagine you've heard about Jesus raising from the grave before, and you've been a Christian long enough. You might even know Luke 24 by heart. But I find in my faith, I remember a lot of the crucifixion of Jesus, and I often skip over this particular passage about what happens on the day of his resurrection. And the first people to the tomb were not the apostles. They were the women. Anybody thankful for faithful women in their life? Yeah, man. The, the women are the only ones who come close to getting this right. And they even fail a little bit. They actually showed up to the tomb on the day that he said he would raise from the grave. If you're new to the Bible, it tells us that he was crucified on Friday. We celebrate Good Friday then, at the Holy Week, Easter week. And then on Sunday, we celebrate Easter. We celebrate the resurrection that he rose from the grave. And the, the only people who came to the tomb were the women. Uh, but one note there, they went there. What were they carrying? Spices. Why were they carrying spices? Because they were going there to treat his dead body. According to Jewish tradition, they weren't going there expecting him that he would raise from the grave, even though he told them that's what would happen. So even in the women in this passage fail somewhat in your faith. If you're here today and you feel like a failure spiritually, it was difficult for you to even come in here and you were in the middle of a battle in your life, maybe it's the first time you've been in a space like this in months, years, even decades, you've come to the right place, even these faithful women here didn't believe what he had said. They strayed and they brought spices to treat his dead body. He goes on in verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. You know the story, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, angels. In their fright, 
The women bowed down their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. The big question I want to ask you, and I'm going to come back to it at the very end. Real simple message this morning. I'm going to give you three points from Luke 24. I'm going to come back to this question. Why do you, why do I, why do we seek for the living among the dead? Just like these early women of the faith. We look for and we live for things that not, do not bring life eternal. We spend our time and our energy looking for things that only bring death. Will you pray with me? God, just thank you for this faithful church that for over 140 years have made an impact here in the valley, throughout Southern California, and around the globe. And we pause in the busyness of our hot summer weekend, and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us right now. God, we pray you speak to us, and that we'd hear and receive your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's family said, amen. Amen. You ever notice the, the Bible uses this analogy of God and his relationship with us. It refers to him as our heavenly father. And I don't know what that concept brings to you, whether it's good things or bad things. I had a great dad. He's amazing. He's still doing well today. Love him to death. But when I think about the analogy of God as my heavenly father, it scares me to death. Because I have three kids. And I know what my kids are like. You remember that show, Kids Say the Darndest Things? That's ridiculous. <laughs> kids don't just say the darndest things. Forgive me, okay, I love my kids to death. Kids, they do the dumbest things sometimes. <laughs> the dumbest things, man. I got a nine-year-old. Some of you might remember Jake. He was the only one we had while we were here. We got a, one who's turning six this week, Jenna. She's the sweet one. And then we got a three-year-old named Jet. And every single one of my children, my wife told me I couldn't share this story but I'm going to do it anyway because this is just real. This is just how my life is. Do not judge me. Every single one of my three children, when they were in that age of like one to two and a half, and they would be in their bedroom for a nap, they, forgive me, man, don't judge me, they, if they made a mess in the diaper, all tracking, they would take the diaper off and they would take, I'm going to be polite, they would take the things out of the diaper. And they would wipe it on anything they could find. Now, to be fair, my daughter, she's the sweetest thing in the world. She's the easiest thing. To, I swear wolves could raise my daughter. She's that sweet. She was really dainty with it, and she only did it once or twice because she's a lady. But my sons, man... They put the monkeys at the zoo to shame. It would be like a war zone. And the, the worst of them was my youngest son, Jet. I got a picture of him. Captain America here. Isn't he the sweetest thing? He's looking out into the distance for freedom. But we knew if he got quiet, we better hurry up and get up to his room. And the worst time I ran up to his room... And to spare you from the details, before I opened the door, I could smell it. 
And then when I walked in to the war zone that he had created, it was on his face, it was on the walls, it was in his teeth. He had taken it and made in circular fashion his own personal pan pizza on the floor of the room. I was so angry. I was like, what is wrong with my kid? And so my wife and I, we spent hours disinfecting and cleaning everything before it was finally gone. And we had the smell of, you know, bacteria gone from the room. A week later, I'm not making this up. A week later, I go back up to his room and I can still smell it. And I started sniffing it around. I even went down to the carpet. It wasn't the personal pan pizza. I got to the corner of his room. My son, who was under two years old, he was about this tall. His dresser was five feet tall. On it, the only thing there was was the lamp. And my son had learned how to put one foot on the wall and shimmy up his five-foot dresser, pull himself up onto the top, go to the lamp as he's standing on the dresser, unscrew the light bulb, Take the things from the diaper and hid them into the socket of the lamp. What is wrong with my children? Now I'm going to tell you, I'm very clear, I love my kids, love them to death. Some of you guys even know we lost one that lived two weeks. So if, if it's hard to even hear stories about kids, I've been there. But I will tell you right now, when that happened to my three-year-old, and I just want to pull out my hair, I began to go, Lord, what am I supposed to do as a dad? And then I thought about what he must think about me. How often... As a child of God, the scriptures teach that he's our Abba, our father, our daddy, that in my relationship, it scares me to death that he is my father because I realize I act like a little child sometimes. And I'm prone to run away from him like a child would, to desire things I know that aren't good for me. Maybe you've been there, maybe you're there now. And so in Luke 24, when we read about the resurrection, you see even the faithful women here did not remember, did not believe, did not trust him fully in their life. And they're actually going to do better than any of the rest. If you look at this with me, a big question I want to ask you is, where are you drifting? We're all drifting somewhere. Are you drifting closer to your heavenly father, father or further away? Are you running away from him? What does it look like? The first point I want to make from Luke chapter 24 is this, that we are all prone to drift. We're all prone to drift. Look at verse 9 with me. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. The women were like, guys, you won't believe it. Jesus is alive. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and all the others with them who told this to the apostles. Like the leaders, right? The, the big dudes. They're... They and Paul are going to spread the gospel all over the world. They responded and said, yes, he rose like he said he was going to. No, look what they do. Verse 11, but they did not believe the women. They didn't believe him. He had told them that on the third day he was going to raise again. They didn't believe him. By the way, have you ever done the math on that? We always say that on the third day he rose again, but we celebrate uh, during Holy Week, Good Friday, that Jesus was crucified on the cross is an atoning sacrifice so that you and I, no matter what we have done, could be forgiven 
and draw near to a perfect God, if we repent of the things in our lives and we turn to our dad and ask for forgiveness, and that we believe he didn't just die on that good Friday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, by the way, that's what time he gave up his spirit on the cross, the same time the Passover lamb would have been slain year after year, But actually, on Sunday morning, when we celebrate Easter, the resurrection occurs, and when they go to the grave at the the first light of day, you know, 6, 7 in the morning, they find the tomb already empty. So it wasn't really, even though on the Jewish calendar it was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, so it was three days, if you do the math, it was less than 48 hours. Less than 48 hours. And they had forgot everything he had told them that he was going to do. He forgot we were all prone to drift. Even look at Peter here in verse uh, 12, because they said in verse 11, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. At least Peter believed, right? No. (laughs) He didn't go there going, yay, he's resurrected. He doubted even more. This is Peter that cut off Malchus's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane because he was going to stand with the Lord every day. And then it didn't take much, a few hours later that night, eventually, uh, he's going to done deny Jesus three times before the rooster crows, right? You remember that story? And Peter, on this day, in verse 12, he runs to the tomb, bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Most likely, he probably, like most, thought that somebody had just stolen the body. Even Peter is prone to drift in his life. So I don't care where you're at spiritually today, The God that we read about in Scripture acknowledges that we are in a spiritual battle for our soul. And I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about that we're all prone to drift, to become stagnant, to slowly begin to not prioritize the things in our lives that God would desire for us. It can happen week to week. Some of you, you could come in here and worship worship like this on the weekend, and some of you, you even clap on beat, right? And you get into it, and you can worship the Lord, and you mean it, and it's from your soul, and Wednesday hits, and you are like another person. You can drift in one week before you even come back here. I'm not saying that to judge you, just being honest. Some of us, we can drift in the next hour or two. If this worship service does not get out on time, some of us are going to drift. Some of you, you could drift by the time you get to the parking lot. Be all excited, praise the Lord. I love him. I'm going to go serve him. Someone cuts you off in the parking lot. I got to get to brunch. Get out of my way. He has risen indeed. He has risen indeed. Right? Come on now. I, I, yesterday, I didn't show this at the last service. Yesterday, I, I went down to the beach because uh, my brother actually lives in Orange County. And so I stayed at their house last night. I got to go down there for a moment. And I forgot about beach traffic. <laughs> Satan, I think he invented that thing. <laughs> After going around the parking lot for an hour trying to find a parking spot at the beach, I finally found one. And the, the car is pulling out. And this woman comes up and knocks on my door. And she says, excuse me, sir, I talked to them before they, they left, and, and they said that I could have that parking spot. <laughs> and then I noticed she had something covering her head that told me most likely she was from the Muslim faith. And so I just naturally, out of my Christian grace, I just said, it's yours, praise the Lord. And led her to the Lord in that parking lot. No. No, I did not. 
I said, have you been waiting here for an hour? And then I got really convicted because I knew I was going to come talk to you all. And so I said, fine, you can have it. And I drove off, pouted. We're all prone to drift. It can happen so quickly. It can happen so quickly. My desire for you is that you know the scriptures and what it teaches about how to actually receive God. That in three days they knew the story of his crucifixion and the resurrection and everything that was going to come. And they have forgotten it. The point number two, if you're taking notes from Luke chapter 24, we're not only prone to drift, we forget what he did. We can forget it really quickly. The disciples are going to forget what he did for them. Uh, When I first came to faith two decades ago, I was 19 years old, and I was uh, in college. I just joined a fraternity house, doing the things that fraternity people do, and God just radically changed my life. And I started a Bible study in the fraternity house, and began to get involved, and and I remember about a month or two later, I was about to go out, and I had been cast in Macbeth. Any Shakespeare fans out there? No. Oh, there are. Okay, glad you came today. Yes, a couple of us. And I remember uh, I was about to be Banquo and Macbeth, and my first lines, I was about to go out there. Who would like to hear me recite those lines today? Wow, that's actually better than the last. They booed me at the last service. I was going to do it anyway. How far is the call to forays? What are these? So withered and so wild did they retire. They look not like the inhabitants of the earth, and yet are not Live thee? Or are you aught that man may question? You seem to understand me by each at once your choppy finger laying upon your skinny lips. You should be women. And yet your beards forbid me to interpret that you are so. That's it. That's the best. I'm sure I got some eye rolls there, but I'll tell you, man. I was about to go recite that. It's not even like real English. And at that time in my life, believe it or not, I was not very comfortable getting up on stage in front of people. It was years before I saw that change in my life. And I remember going out, and in that moment, I prayed. You ever, you ever pray and really believe and hope that God will show up in your life? You ever seen him show up? Do you forget about when he did? I always remember this moment, I was about to go out there, and I don't think God cared about Banquo or Macbeth or that play or any of that stuff, but uh, my daddy, my heavenly father, he cared about the relationship that his, his little child was asking for something, and he wanted to respond and demonstrate his love, and I'm telling you, you don't have to believe this, but in that moment, I felt this peace just come over me, and I went out and did those lines, and as someone who had just come to faith, and had for the first time really prayed something and saw God, this, the scriptures teach, this peace that surpasses understanding just come over me. I always look back to that and want to remember how he's shown up in the past. We so quickly forget, like the disciples. It's what's helped me get through the loss of a child. It's what helped us go from Southern California to Indiana and start a church out of our house. Because God is still real and we forget what he has done. And he tells the disciples in this passage, guys, what's wrong? Why do you forget? Look with me, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, 
What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Then Jesus said to them, How foolish you are. Kids can do the most foolish, dumbest things. And you and I are no different. How foolish you are, Jesus says, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You have forgotten what I told you was going to happen. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what he had said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He says, guys, guys, don't be foolish. You have forgotten what I did. I told you days ago that this would all occur And I would raise from the grave. Not only have you forgotten that, thousands of years of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament for us today, to remind you of the coming of the Messiah. And I told you I was him. You have forgotten. Some of you today, you have forgotten who he is. You are in the middle of problems in your marriage. You've made a mess of your dating life. Your finances are a wreck. You have problems with your kids and your grandkids. And you've got drug abuse and other things occurring. And, and, and you just, we try and just fix all of those things. Rather than remembering who he is and what he is. He made a human being raised from the dead. What could he do in our life? And he says, guys, why'd you forget who I am and what I've come to do? I don't know about you, but I want to remember who he is. I need him in my life. Number three, if you're taking notes, the final point I'd like to make from Luke 24 is that we don't just forget what he did. We forget what he's going to do. We forget his promises of what he's going to do, that you're his child, that he created you, he loves you, he redeemed you, he wants you to draw near to him. He's not just going to be the angry God with a magnifying glass looking down on the human anthill that sometimes you associate him with. He's going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you. And when you turn your back, he's going to keep coming. Scriptures teach us this. We forget what he's going to do. Look at verse 36 with me. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, so I've skipped down to verse 36 in Luke 24 now. Peace or shalom be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. Have you forgotten so quickly? I told you this was going to happen. Look at the scars, guys, and remember, I told you what I was going to do. But look what happens. It is I myself. Touch me. And see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, I love this, I love Jesus, got anything to eat? Right? Now scholars will tell you he's going to eat a piece of fish here and it's to show you he's not a ghost and he had a physical body. But I also love how Jesus, he could have done other ways of, of giving you that example. The way Jesus does it is so cool. He does the very thing he always did with them. He said, guys, you still don't believe me? It's all right. Let's have a meal together. I still want to hang out with you. I still want to get to know you. You may have put barriers up in your life. You may be prone to drift and you have drifted from him. You have turned your back and like a child, you have ran away from your daddy. He said, I, it's all right. I still love you. 
Let's sit down and have a meal together because I desire a relationship with you. It's really the whole story of the Bible. Humanity rebels against God in the Garden of Eden. He doesn't give up. He pursues them. Through the people of Israel, they don't follow him neither. He doesn't give up. He sends the prophets. They don't listen. He sends his only son. Any of us could be redeemed, drawn near to the perfect God that your daddy loves you and he's going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you and pursue you. And when you still push him away, he's going to say, that's all right. Let's sit down and have a meal together. I still want a relationship with you. And there's going to be a time where we won't get that opportunity anymore. He's going to pursue us and pursue us and pursue us. Look what he does here, verse 41. And while the, excuse me, verse 42. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Guys, remember I tell you what I was going to do? Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And over the next five verses, he'll explain that he was the the Messiah again who had to suffer and, and rise again. And they will finally get it. They will finally get it in this passage. See, we have to remember, we as Christians today don't just have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. And he has told us what he is going to do. See, we as Christians, if you're new to the Bible, it tells us that not just that we could be forgiven if we turn to him because of the crucifixion, not just that we could live eternally with him, but that one day, and we should live as if it's going to be sooner rather than later, scriptures teach us he will return. And he will set this world as it should be. And there will be no more pain or suffering, for the old order of things will pass away. There will be no more tears or sickness or death or dying or cancer There will be no more broken relationships. We will have perfect relationship with God and other human beings. And that if we go before he returns, we go to be with him in paradise, the scriptures teach us. That if you know him and you believe and receive his grace and you repent and you you surrender your life fully to him, and that now you can join with what he is doing in the world to change it today to look more like he would desire it to be. The scriptures clearly teach these things. And we so quickly forget what he's going to do. You've been there? And we do the very thing, even the faithful women at the very beginning in verse 6 did. When we ask that question, why do you seek the living among the dead? Rather than living in our lives for things that are going to bring life, that are going to last for eternity, we spend all of our time and energy on things that we won't give a rip about in a thousand years. Maybe that's too blunt, but I'm telling you, I've gone through losing loved ones. I have seen people who have just slowly drifted away from God, and and they're missing out on joining with him in this joy-filled life to see him use you to make an impact that you were created for a purpose, and he redeemed you, and he wants to live with you eternally, and he wants to be in your life now because you're his child. But we live for these things that don't bring life. And we turn to drugs and to alcohol to escape this reality that's so depressing around us when we see pain and suffering and death and racism and sexism and people hurting one another and violence and animosity and people saying horrible things online to each other. And he says, why do you keep looking for the living among the dead? Live for things that bring life. And he's going to pursue you 
and pursue you and pursue you. And when you're in debt over your head and when your life is a mess and your marriage is a wreck and you think you could never be one of those Christians that could experience God in your life, I want to tell you as somebody who used to be far from God, when you encounter Jesus authentically, the Apostle Paul, who wrote, writes most of the New Testament, starts churches all over the Roman Empire. At one time, he was a religious terrorist overseeing the killing of Christians. And one authentic encounter with Jesus in Acts chapter 9 changed everything in his life. Why are you looking for the living among the dead, moving from relationship to relationship, from encounter to encounter, rather than going, I'm going to live for something that brings life. We are all prone to drift. Remember what he has done. Remember what he is going to do. Say, Abba, Father, I am yours. Well, I want to tell you this, guys. When my son, he's the cutest thing in the world, isn't he? When, when, when he did that in his room, I didn't go in the room and go, well, that was the last straw. You're on your own now. We hope that you can make it. Your mother and I will be praying for you. <laughs> no, that's my kid. I love him no matter what. I do anything. What do, you, you, what do you need, son? Man, I want, want to help you, and I'm, I'm going to raise you up. I'm not just going to make it easy for you, right? Like, you're going to have to learn some things in this life. We've got to grow up sometimes, even spiritually. We don't live off of spiritual milk forever, but your heavenly Father looks at you, and the things that you did last weekend or before you came here today or the things that you have in your life that you haven't whispered or uttered to a person or a soul, God knows it, and he still loves you and wants to redeem you. He says, hey, I know you guys rejected me, but let's sit down and have a meal together. Because I'm about to change some things in your life. And when you encounter that God, and he comes into your life, and you believe and receive his grace, and remind yourself you're in a spiritual battle and we're all prone to drift, then when you just acknowledge that before him, he now can begin to use you. And so I'm going to invite the Christians and those who are searching out their things of faith to respond to Luke chapter 24, to the God that loves you and has redeemed you and is going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you no matter what mistake you have done, no matter how far you have strayed from him. He's not giving up, and he wants you to come home. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the people that genuinely love Jesus here. There are Many of us who have been Christians for years, who we are prone to drift ourselves. And maybe that's you right now. Maybe you have become stagnant in your faith. And you no longer really live for him. You're no longer joining with what he's doing in the world. You've just gotten busy with things you're not going to carry about a thousand years from now. If you want to change that today, you can. Pray this with me. God, I pray for each person. If that's you, pray this. I, I, today, it changes. Instead of drifting away, I'm going to drift towards I make you the center of my life, not the exterior portions of it. So on this day, I give you everything. My time, my talents, my treasures, they're yours. I surrender it all. And then for some of us today, maybe you're here and you know that it, you don't really know for sure where you'll spend eternity. Scriptures clearly teach, John chapter 1, believe and receive his grace. Romans 10, 9, confess him as Lord with your lips. And you will have salvation. And so... I invite you right now, if that's you in the room, and you'd like to surrender your life to Christ, whether it's for the first time or to recommit, I invite you, pray this with me, Lord. God is here. He loves you. He has redeemed you. God, today, on this day, I remember what you've done, what you're going to do, 
And I surrender everything in my life to you. I will drift away from you no longer. I will pursue you like you've been pursuing me since the beginning of time. I run to you, Dad. My heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. I surrender my whole life to you. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we give you all things. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray and everybody said, amen.